0: Folks, to the DC Three Cast, we are going to be talking in a little while to Joshua Hale Fialkov about *I Vampire*. But before then, we're going to talk about the second installment of our New Fifty Two In Review series tonight. We're looking at Action Comics, but we don't have the full crew here tonight. Uh, Vince was otherwise occupied, and so we got uh, one of Multiversity's finest. Alice W. Castle, to sit in with us and talk action. So, Alice, be prepared to talk about the Packers, to make a Italian kissing fingers emoji. And oh, I'm so good at that now. <laughs> and yeah. to, I'm to think of a third Vince-ism to do, and just sound as Midwestern as you can.
1: Oh, I'm never going to do that. I don't even know how to do, like, a <laughs> bad American accent. Never mind.
0: A specific region?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but Zach is here with me as always. I'm Brian and we're gonna talk about action comics. So um I think I speak for all of us when I say that when Morrison was announced as the writer of action, I was very hopeful. This was yes. perhaps the creator on a new fifty two project that I was most interested by because I actually
1: kind of have a funny story about that.
0: Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Um so Action Comics is the first series that I started reading comics in single issues for um before that i was reading exclusively in trade paperbacks and was always like five years behind current (laughs) comics but like i saw the news of like dc's rebooting everything everything is going back to issue one grant morrison is writing action comics and i'd just read all-star superman and so that was that's literally the comic that's like why i'm on the podcast that's like the starting point
0: wow then you are the all, perfect it, it person all, it's all connected. to talk about this. Um,
1: I mean, perfect person's a bit much, but I am like the resident Superman fan at Mully
0: Although I have to say, I, I think for a couple of years there, everybody was a little bit, I don't want to say afraid, to let their Superman flag fly, fly but I think there was so few great Superman comics out there that people mm-hmm. didn't talk about Superman as much. And I feel like once Superman gets good everyone comes out of the woodwork as a closet Superman fan. So I feel like yeah. right now everybody's talking about how much they love Superman.
1: Yeah, Which that's true. I, I, I mean, I, th- I think you have to kind of like get through the the dark times to get remind everyone why they love Superman again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Zach, what was your reaction to the Grant Morris and Rags Morales announcement as the creative team on action?
3: Oh, this was my most anticipated book for sure, like no doubt. Um, because, I, I mean, you know, for a lot of the reasons Alice mentioned, like, Morrison is probably my favorite comic book writer. Superman's my favorite superhero. Um, All-Star Superman is one of my favorite books. And, you know, Morrison had just come off of, or had basically just come off of his Batman run. I know he still had a little bit left, but um, I was just excited to see him do an in-continuity Superman book, and I kind of just, you know, I was excited to see how it would differ from from All-Star. Mm-hmm. Um, so,
0: yeah, I was extremely excited. I think uh, for a lot of us who were reading, you know, a fair amount of pre-Flashpoint books, it was intriguing to have the five years earlier Superman stories in action comics versus the... Mm-hmm. At the Superman number one, which was taking place, you know, in the, in the new 52 proper. Um, but it's funny because Superman, the book was essentially a dumpster fire from page one. Uh, the creative team Literally, it opens on
1: a dumpster fire. Like that's like the front cover. Yeah. <laughs> is Superman <laughs> wading through a dumpster fire, holding the, the daily, daily planet. planet globe.
0: Yeah. But you know, that book, the creative team shifted. I want to say like by issue four, it was a totally different creative team. Yeah, does that sound right? Um, I think it made it through six. Okay, okay. I know I, I
1: jumped on. I think with seven, Which um, was, where oh, was it was a different, different? story arc. I, yeah, and I lasted an issue Where I was like, "Welp, nope, this is not happening." That was the um, arc with. I don't even know his name, but he has a weird like flame skull. <laughs>
0: that uh, uh, hell spawn. Yeah. <laughs> And five points I don't to say. Really <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I think all of us were pretty excited about the Morrison run, but I feel like for a lot of people it didn't live up to the hype, part probably because the hype was all star Superman and as we all yeah, know. Yeah, I
1: don't know if it could have lived up to the hype unless it literally was all Star Superman too.
0: Right, exactly. So um I guess let's just start talking about Morrison's arc or Morrison's run in general. His run lasted from issue number one through issue number 18. Mm -hmm. Um, Including the zero issue. Yes, and he had backups from Sholly Fish for a lot of that. So good. Yeah. So good. Uh, We on the DC3 are big Sholly Fish supporters and want him to get an incontinuity DC book Mm -hmm. very, very, very fast. Um. But what are some moments that stood out to you guys from this run?
1: Um, there's for one me, thing that.
0: Go
3: ahead. Oh, oh! I was just gonna. There's one thing that Brian should probably be able to guess. My one thing. Can you guess it, Brian?
0: Oh, I feel like you put me on the spot here.
3: <laughs> it's the only it's the thing I talk about like every podcast, or every time we talk.
0: I feel like I should know this. It's the Legion, man. Oh, of course it's the Legion. Yes. Why, what am I? What am <laughs> I doing here? Yes, of course you would love the Legion part.
1: You're letting you're letting the team down, man.
0: I know. I know. I'm sorry.
1: <gasps> oh, it's all right. What were you saying, Alice? Um, for me, like the standout moment is like, um, the end of issue eight is the moment where like Superman, like Clark, finally goes from being like the kind of updated Superboy version with the jeans and t-shirt to like wearing the actual suit which like I'm still not okay with the Kryptonian armor in a lot of ways but like I feel like how he got it made sense within the issue and like finally see him him in like a proper Superman suit like getting the key to the city and flying off and grinning at the end of the issue the like the Brad Walker pages mm-hmm. were such a great like punctuation to that first like almost origin arc of how he went from being like super boy almost to like superman i really liked
0: well i think that issue is a perfect example of what morrison does so well you know mm-hmm. there, he was given the mandate by dc that superman has to wear this kryptonian armor that looks stupid and whatever. It's so ugly. Rand Walker
1: does a hell of a job with it, but it's so ugly.
0: Yeah, but Morrison makes you understand and respect the armor through the story in a way that no one else ever does. You know, he's just able to take these ideas and through his, you know, Scottish magic can just turn it (laughs) into something that really works. And I think that that is, to me, the best description of his of his run it's you know superman the new 52 is probably the most maligned legacy outside of maybe the teen titans but you you know me yeah. you know me I, I i'm 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 fighting for teen titans equality at all at all <laughs> stops but you know uh the superman stuff was just it felt like they were trying to do something with superman that even they didn't really understand mm-hmm. they wanted to make superman different but they didn't want to really make him different. They wanted to make him kind of the same as before, but they wanted to give him more of an edge, but not too much of an edge. It just felt like everything was hedging bets. And I feel like Morris' yeah. run was able to take all of those disparate ideas and turn it into something. And most of the time, that something was quite good. Yeah. Uh, did you guys... Um,
1: like I said before, Like that first kind of arc is like a better version of Man of Steel, mm-hmm. um, where... Like Superman starts off, he's kind of like, he is kind of an asshole in the beginning, where he's really brash. He he'll, he'll like just run headlong into situations, but Morrison kind of presents that in a way that makes sense for like someone who's like in his early twenties and has like amazing power, and just kind of goes like, well, no one else is gonna like stop this terrible thing from happening. I'm gonna go do it. And he doesn't really think through to the end of that. It's like he kind of takes that kind of action comics title to the like logical conclusion of like Superman is just going to do stuff and sometimes the consequences aren't great and like the city kind of turns against him by like issue four I think. Mm -hmm. Like he's saving people and they're like well you didn't save us properly or like we're still afraid of you because you're an alien but like. By the time you get to like issue eight after the whole like Brainiac stuff, where like Superman's like jumping into space, which is an amazing point of that issue. Um, he's like able to win back the people and like become like actual Superman again. Mm-hmm. I love that issue so much. I'll talk about it forever.
0: I can't disagree with that, no. I Matt. Mean, I, I think that's a pretty succinct description of it. I know there are lots of people who dislike the Morrison run when it comes to the quote modern day because he was forced to deal with even more terrible ideas from DC. Yeah. Well Um,
3: there's that weird middle arc where he changes his name to like John Clark, I think. (laughs) Johnny Clark. Johnny Clark, yeah.
0: And it lasts
3: for like three issues, I think. And then it is back to normal again.
1: Yeah. And then no one ever mentions again because Missy's of, whatever. I don't that's know about, fifth dimensional names. <laughs> I don't know fifth dimensional names. Like Morrison just comes up with these weird like I've seen him pronounce it and I'm like, I don't I don't get it. How? <laughs> but um she like erases it from time or something with a wish.
3: Right, like
1: yes. maybe or <laughs> she erased the other time Superman died from Doomsday, which people reference a lot. I don't like. I could never figure out if they were referencing like actual nineteen ninety three death of Superman. It's weird. Once he like starts messing with time, the comic gets so convoluted. I'm like, it's still it's still good to me, but like I had a hard time kind of figuring out what
0: was happening for a while there and if you have a hard time alice imagine like you know new comic reader picking it up
1: oh yeah like this is after i've read final crisis where i'm like used to morrison's weird like we'll write a comic with zero exposition but multiverse shaking events are happening
0: you're I'm totally like, cool with like whistling know. a song through time but you know oh, <laughs> but a lot oh, of people God. just can't do it which I don't fault them for. No, I understand.
1: Dark hates music though.
0: Yeah. Oh, yes. I know. I get it. Oh, <laughs> I, love I love that, that comic that, so much. I love that page. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But again, I can understand why people who like a more straightforward comic mm-hmm. could possibly have have trouble with that. And that's totally right. fair. Because it does but start
1: off pretty straightforward. Yes. And then just it, he, he takes the fifth dimension to like his conclusion. Right. Um of just weird, like nonsensical plot lines and I'm just like make calm it down a bit calm it down just a wee bit
3: but I will say that I feel like maybe and I might be exaggerating a little bit but I feel like of all the new 52 books this was the one that actually felt like something different um you know morrison like wasn't afraid to shake things up um whereas like most everything else I felt like was just kind of like a like an Ultimates version of the DCU, you know, whereas this felt like something really unique for the most part.
0: I'll push back against that with a couple of titles, but I would say the titles I feel that way about were not necessarily running before the new 52. Mm-hmm. So I think i like... just
1: going to talk about the Dark Line because that's all that I'm thinking of.
0: Well, I was thinking of like yeah. Animal Man in particular. Yep. Yeah, How that was really a different approach to that character and not just an Ultimates approach mm-hmm. um, um,
1: Animal Man and Swamp Thing were what I was right.
0: thinking of uh, to me that first Swamp Thing arc was just like page after page of uh, Yannick Paquette having to fit, find room for word bubbles because there was so much exposition in that first arc mm-hmm. I feel like Swamp Thing just walked around telling the history of the world all yeah. the time. yeah. Um, but I, I, I do think it got pretty good.
3: Uh, I guess, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I guess maybe I'm thinking, like, more in terms of, like, the main, like, the Justice League characters.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can't disagree with that at all. Um, especially,
1: like, because, like, the first, like, year of the New 52 was rough for a lot of titles. hmm Like, especially, like, because you're going with, like, action comics, and then you put, like, it's literally side-by-side to Superman which just didn't know where it was going, what it was doing. Like it couldn't tell whether it wanted Clark and Lois to be friends or if they were dating or if they had been married or what content. Cause like some of like, I feel like they, because they didn't clean reboot everything like Batman and I think Green Lantern stuff, like basically continued as is.
0: There were very few degree. issues there. Yeah. I mean, very few yeah. discrepancies
1: um and but like superman like rebooted clean more or less but like was trying to like actively be like no but what you thought was wrong and lois and clark aren't married but they might also just not be friends even though they are in action comics and like i've read the interviews with um i think it was keith giffen um it was someone that was on. Maybe it was George Perez, um, early Superman, where he was just like, "I was writing stuff and I didn't know what Grant was doing in Action Comics because none of the editors told me." And I was just like, "Well, you can see how that mess happens."
0: Oh, Eddie Braganza. <laughs> still editing the Superbooks.
1: I don't know how. I genuinely don't know how.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold off the story I know until after the show is over. So, sorry, <laughs> listeners. Uh, but yeah. So, um, besides just more gushing, is there anything we want to say about Morrison's run we haven't said yet?
1: Um, The Zero issue is an issue that everyone should read, regardless of whether they care about comics or Superman or anything. Just, like, read Superman issue Zero. It's amazing. Not nah, action comics issue Zero, sorry.
0: Because, well, first of all, it had yep. Ben Oliver. Yep. So good. Which is... Me a plus two in any book. Like, if I was grading a book, it gets two extra points because of Ben Oliver.
3: I think, I think my favorite issues in this arc, beside or in this run, besides the zero issue, are issue nine, which is the Earth 23 issue. Oh, yeah, and then I think it's issue 13, which is the one in the fortress that. Travel Foreman did the art for.
1: Yes. Oh yeah, the Halloween with, issue. With, yeah, the
3: Halloween issue with crypto.
1: Everything um, with crypto, like New Fifty Two Crypto broke my heart. Yep. Like the the final ish the final page of like this whole eighteen issue run that Grant Morrison and Rags Morales did is like Clark has been through hell. He's because, like Vindictivix is an enemy that attacks him at every point of his life. At the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: every moment, every second he's ever been alive, he's been attacked by Vindictivics. And he gets through that somehow. He does the impossible. He gets through that. And the final page isn't this like bombastic kind of thing. It's literally just Clark sitting in a crater with his dog being like, You should see the other guy. <laughs> yeah. and it's just the perfect ending for that arc. And it's the it perfect is. like note to end on. And there's, I just love
0: that. There's a really nice moment in last week's Batman, Superman, whatever issue number it is, the The second part of the final days of is Superman. one arc. I want to say? Is that something? Something like that, yeah. And uh, where Bruce goes to the Batcave and he meets Damien's dog. What's what's Damien's dog's name? Um, um, Titus. Titus, yeah. And there is like roughhousing and he's like, I should tell, you should tell Damien to bring Crypto over here. They'd have such fun playing together. And it's just such a nice moment. It's just, I have to say, we were talking about this off-air. This uh, Pete Tomasi written arc has just so many nice character moments mm-hmm. of Superman being Superman. And uh, how long it's been since we've seen that. All oh, right, yeah. um, I, I agree with everything you guys said. Issue Zero is by far my favorite issue of this, um, of this run. But I really did enjoy uh, the Earth-23 issue as well. And I really enjoyed the introduction of Steel. In this. Even though it's very different. I feel like he's been like
1: an underrated character in the new 52. Because he's been like a returning character in action comics especially. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. Because I was never too into Steel. He always just felt like. Like Superman's version of War Machine. Almost. Where he's just like. He's the guy in the metal suit. You know. I like, But they actually made him kind of pretty interesting. In this Mm -hmm. one. Especially his introduction. I think in issue 2. Where, like, Clark's being tortured, and John Henry's like, I didn't sign up for this. Yep. This is just a kid. I like that.
0: Yeah. There were some great, great moments on the, uh, in those backups, especially of, uh, of Steel stuff. But let's move in, let's move on from this. So after Grant Morrison left, the book was supposed to be turned over to Andy Diggle mm-hmm.
1: and, and Tony
0: S. Daniel. And Tony S. Daniel as the artist. And then, um, Something happened with Andy Diggle, and he wound up leaving, I want to say, two or three months before the first issue even came out. And Yeah, so... it was just
1: before the first issue came out, and that kind of left, because they ended up doing three issues. That left the second and third issue with like a plot, but Tony S. Daniel had to step in and script it, if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, I want to say he even... Or at least maybe the rumor was that he re-scripted the first Diggle issue, too. Maybe. Um,
1: It would make sense, because the whole thing's a jumbled mess.
0: Yeah. Uh, There was an image that was commissioned for the series of Superman wearing a black costume. And it was a promo image that was later used for Superman, Lois, and Clark, literally three and a half years later.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, I generally remember the point where I saw that image and was just like, I'm not reading action comics after this end this <laughs> arc ends. Like I was gonna I was ready to just like hard like just drop the series. Well that costume's so ugly.
0: Yeah. And those three issues, if I recall, were just a whole lot of nothing. There wasn't a lot there Basically. that was super offensive. The only thing that
1: it kind of added to the continuity is I believe it's the story of how Lex Luthor ends up in jail and, like, the Superman issues. Because if I remember correctly, New 52, Superman opens with, like, Lex Luthor in jail Mm -hmm. or something. Um, And this is where he, like, is he goes from, like, military contractor, like, working with Sam Lane to, like, defend the world against Superman to, like, Literally just like this maniacal supervillain wearing a trench coat with like a like war suit, and like Lois Lane outs him to the world as this like insane supervillain. That's about it. I want to offer an,
0: an open challenge to Superman writers right now. Can we go five years without Lois Lane outing somebody for something? <laughs> I feel like that's all she does anymore.
1: Spoiler alert! Like I I want like us to go back through the history of comics and, like, Lois Lane was the one who outed Bobby Drake as gay. (laughs) You know? Uh, Just, like, any, like, surprise reveal was Lois Lane's fault.
0: (laughs) That would make a great, like, Tumblr. Just, like, Photoshop headlines of Lois Lane revealing things. (laughs) That's your assignment, Alice. Good on that.
1: Yeah, I, like... I have a lot of ideas already. That's great. (laughs) This might happen.
0: Um, Awesome.
1: But yeah, like the thing that always got me about this arc is it opened with issue 19. And I don't know if anyone remembers this, but all of the 19 issues were the Uh weird fold-out covers. The
0: WTF ones?
1: Yeah. Yes. Where like half of the image is like folded in and it's a big surprise. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any of them actually mattered. I don't think any of them were like either a surprise in the cover or mattered in the story. Especially not this one because this like the full image is like Superman's punching someone, and it's like Superman's greatest enemy, and the surprise is that it's Jimmy Olsen, mm-hmm. and it's a hallucination for like one panel in the story of this one guy just happens to look like Jimmy Olsen for like a page, and then it's never brought up again. And I remember reading it, like, at the time, being like, wait, what? <laughs> like, this is how you pay that cover off? Like, it's so dumb.
0: All right, let, like, let's see. It was see. gimmick
1: month to the, to the fullest extent.
0: Let's see if you guys can remember what WTF stood for. Um. Oh, no.
1: No, it's... Actually, um... Isn't it what the fifty-two? It is what the fifty-two. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Oh, DC, DC, why? Why must you hurt me like this?
0: This was like to me the peak of my, um, just being done with DC for a while. Yeah, like this was. It was after all the initial goodwill of the new fifty-two had worn off. It was before new books were coming. I think this is might. This is not quite around the time when James Robinson was leaving Earth Two, but it wasn't that far away from this time. It was just all of the, all of the like residue of the New Fifty Two was was gone, and it was just the the slimy underbelly that was left.
1: Yeah, we were all kind of like although the like, because like the New Fifty Two never really had that like shininess. That like, even if we, even as we like look forward to um, like Rebirth, like there are some books that are like really shiny and new and like we're talking about them. Like I never felt like New 52 had that outside of like maybe like Scott and like the Dark Line and Ashen Comics with Grant Morrison. Like a lot of them were just kind of like, oh, is, is that it? Is that your big like push? And then after a couple of months, we were like, after like a year, we were just like, "Oh, this is bad. This isn't great." And this was kind of the point of Action Comics where it was just like nose diving into the ground.
0: I just sent you guys in the group chat uh, all the WTF covers. I'm, I'm oh, looking no. at them right now, and oh, no. some of these make absolutely no sense.
3: Oh, I like the Dial H one, but of course I do.
0: Yeah. Well, that, was other, that was Vince's other mandate. We had to talk about Dial H tonight. So there you Oh, go. yeah, that was it. There you go. My bad. I should have brought that up. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, all these covers are just so bad. Like, this is. Oh, when... my God. I
1: forgot about New 52 Kara I brought up New 52 Kara like, the other week, and yeah. I've already for- forgotten about it.
0: This is when, if you recall, Stormwatch died and 90s Stormwatch showed up. Uh huh. Written by Jim Starlin.
1: I don't remember Stormwatch
0: even being a thing. Stormwatch had so much potential in the beginning. Oh, oh. That
3: Red Hood and the Outlaws one is so weird.
0: Oh, God. I Ugly. forgot about Brett Booth on Nightwing. I tried to.
3: <laughs> oh, I like that. That Batman Ink one is okay.
0: The Batman Ink one oh, was good, God. but yeah. Man, these were bad. Oh my god!
1: Remember the nine hundred yep. detective yeah. comic,
3: which I think what was it? It was like it's the, the nine hundred block or something. Yeah, in the in
0: the story. Yeah, it was a city block. <laughs>
3: yeah, and
0: this is the That's first so moment where DC was like, "Oh shit, we lost all our uh, legacy here. We could have done a huge nine hundredth issue, and now we can't. We have to do a crappy two ninety nine story about a block in Gotham."
1: I love how we've just ascended into giving out about early new fifty two.
3: Oh, it was they, they charged seven ninety nine for that. Did they really? Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, it was it was a big oversized thing because I think I actually reviewed that issue for the site. Uh,
1: Remember okay. that Frank Miller cover to the Detective Comics anniversary issue <laughs> oh, oh, oh. uh-huh. with Cat Catwoman? Catwoman, yep. yeah. Oh, that was so bad. Yeah. How do you get him to do that and then be like, hey, do you want to do Dark Knight 3? Or Donkey Kong 3, as I've been calling it.
0: (laughs) Dark Knight 3, the Aryan race. (laughs) Um, I've just
1: been doing this so that we can avoid talking about Scott Lobdell taking over Action Comics.
0: Well, I was just going to say, we have to get to that now. But there is a little intermezzo in the Scott Lobdell run, which is the Villains Month
1: which wasn't much better
0: no Ooh. vince zach and i no joke about points. getting i survived villains month tattoos because the three of us had to cover all those issues
1: yeah i remember that like that was like the early days of like that was like proto secret
0: warriors
1: yep or just like putting yourself through hell to review comics mm-hmm. uh
0: yeah um but those we do are- God's work <laughs> thank you but th- those were uh, pretty bad as was Lobdell's arc I can't tell you one thing about Lobdell's arc so Alice can you fill me in um, what did I forget
1: basically Superman action comics goes from like kind of reserved in its sci-fi where it's very well I say reserved like Grant Morrison goes like full 5th dimensional but like It's very much focused on the characters and their emotions and all of that. And like when Andy Diggle and Tony Estiano comes in, the sci-fi gets kind of like almost like high sci-fi. Like Metropolis is like suddenly this weird gleaming spire city, and Lex Luthor is like this super tech badass. And then it goes like science fantasy, where Superman meets this thing on the moon which name I don't remember it's like an alien warrior oh no I it's not Superman it's Hector Hammond because remember when Scott Lobdell really liked Hector Hammond mm-hmm. and put him in like all
0: of the Superman books my head hurts so much right now <laughs> I forgot about all this garbage
1: so Superman finds Hector Hammond like meets this guy and he blows up his like world destroying Doomsday device for some reason, and then Superman meets him. This is also when like he was trying to tie it into when Clark Kent quit the Daily Planet and like had a start up like website with Cat Grant. Oh, what called, was that called? It was either like Cat Clarkopolis.
0: <laughs> that's it. Clark that's Kat it. That's it. That's something it. like that. Dot that's like an Tim and Eric joke. That's not a real thing.
1: <laughs> it was a real thing. It was I've. I lived it. Um, was also, it, can
0: there, we really call that living?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was rough. Um, Clark is at a movie premiere, and there's a there's like the actor in the film is like his last role, and as soon as Clark sees him, he like smells what does he calls it as like infinitum or an infinitium, like some like made up metal and x-rays him, and he has, like, a robot skeleton, and it's never brought up again. (laughs) Like, genuinely, I don't know what happened to that plot point, but there's just an actor out there with a metal skeleton made up of this, like, impossible mineral, and it's... So Wolverine, essentially. Yeah, but, like, Alan Rickman as Wolverine was kind of the vibe I was getting, and... Yeah, then it turns out that it's this terrible, evil force that's threatening an ancient alien civilization where they have like, they look like World of Warcraft orcs and that they have green skin and like tusks and all of the dudes have like huge armor and the the, like queen is wearing like literally like suction cup metal bra with like no like straps and like a loincloth. And that's it. I'm
3: just and listening I just kind to of, like, what you're saying, and I feel like it's just some kind of weird fever dream that...
1: It kind of was. And then, like, as, as soon as Superman sees him, he like, he, like, introduces himself as literally just, like, hey, I'm Superman. Sup? Pretty much. Which is not a bad introduction for Superman. That's kind of chill. And then, like, the guy, like, punches Superman, and Superman just, like, spits the dummy out and wails on him, and he's like, in his narration, he's like, you know, next time, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt, I'm just going to show up and punch someone in the face. And that kind of sums up Scott Lobdell's Superman to me.
0: <laughs> and um, Zack Snyder's Superman.
1: Yeah, like, you can see the, like, direct parallel. Um. Anyway, like, long story short, it's like a two-issue arc where um, Superman eventually, like, stabs this like ancient evil in the heart, where it's like it's this guy's dead heart that was thrown into space that was like resurrected by magic and has like an endoskeleton made up of dead planets and Superman stabs it through the heart with a sword and becomes the like leader of the alien people's planet and that's it I don't know that it was like I like I'm trying to remember it as best as I can. It's like some kind of Doctor Who villain where every time I try to remember it, like the memory just goes further and further away. It doesn't want to be remembered, and then, like the third issue like tied into Siren's and Superman, but I didn't read that because like screw cyber war,
0: <laughs> honestly. So, here's the big question. Okay. Which is worse? Scott Lobdell's action comic stuff? Or is Scott Lobdell still writing Red Hood and the Outlaws for Rebirth?
1: Like, what's worse?
0: Like, what what's worse for comics overall?
1: Okay. Um, Probably Scott Lobdell in action. Because... No one needs to read Red Hood the Outlaws. <laughs> like, there's nothing really there. Like, Starfire's already escaped, so she's saved. I don't care about Jason Todd. DC doesn't care about Roy Harper, but I do. Alice. And like, I do. Whoever so much. the new Outlaws is, it's like, I yeah, that's true.
0: It's bizarre when Artemis.
1: Yeah, and like some like I read that in the *Solicit*, and I'm like, Artemis, like they're letting Wonder Woman characters outside of Wonder Woman books now. What kind of <laughs> DC is this?
0: One that's giving us false hope.
1: Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, no, I'd I'd definitely rather him be on a book that I don't have to read than be on a Superman book. Because this was at the point where he was writing both action comics and Superman. Yeah those were some dark times
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: indeed and he was dabbling in superboy a little
0: bit too wasn't he yes he was yeah
1: he was writing superman boy which i don't think anyone needs to talk about new 52 superboy
0: i will defend there was one issue that uh frank barbieri wrote that i really enjoyed maybe yeah that's not surprising maybe it was the future's end I think it was, yeah. Issue?
3: Because that came from off of the Aaron Cooter run. Which yes, which I also was, was, was not, better. Yeah, yeah.
0: And it, that came after the Justin Jordan run, which started really well. And then kind of got editorially hijacked, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no comment on that. Um, Didn't they, like, stories later too.
1: replace, like... The original like Con L with yes, like was Clark different... and Lois's son? Like genetic clone son or something? Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Who I only have... ever heard was about he... this
1: title from Hearsay, and I just I never actually bothered to read it. Yeah.
3: And I think their their clone son was evil too, wasn't he? I believe so.
1: Of course. That like New 52 Superboy is summed up to me by that cover of him in crypto, like, where he's like huge red eyes that are like he looks like cyclops and like crypto is this like a monster wolfhound and i just kind of go like yeah no i don't need to read that
0: (laughs) but after all of this we get to the i guess the we get the upswing again yeah the the Mm -hmm. the, the final creative team before this super league slash the final days of superman finale to the new 52 superman yeah that much was well, that? Yeah, right? It's, yeah, didn't...
1: pretty much. Like, like, I think at a certain point... Okay, no, introduce them first.
0: Uh, well, so we get the creative team of Greg Pak and Aaron Cooter who take over with issue 25 which is the Zero Year issue, which mm-hmm. again, talk about things we forgot about, that Zero Year crossed over with Action Comics, but here it we It crossed on. over
1: with everything. Yeah. Like, apparently everyone showed up at the same time in the DC Universe. <laughs> like, as soon as Batman showed up. Well,
3: there was that. There was that interesting one. That, this is off topic, but the Green Lantern Corps one that yes. had John, John Stewart before Stewart. Yeah. he was a Green Lantern. I thought that mm-hmm. was
0: a cool use of that. That is true. It um, wasn't terrible, but, but it was unnecessary.
1: I mean, I guess so.
0: I like, don't know. I loved
1: Zero Year as an arc. I just don't think it needed to like and en- un- like interact with any of the other titles.
3: Yeah, the rest were, I feel like the rest were a little excessive. Like the, wasn't there a, did Red Hood and the Outlaws, was there a Jason, or am I thinking, I might be thinking of the zero year, or the the number zero issue. I think that's the one I'm thinking of. No, I think
1: there was a zero year issue with Red Hood and the Outlaws that was like, because it was like just after the like Red Hood gang, Red Hood, fell Uh into like the acid at the end of like the first part of Zero Year year, Uh and then he like finds Jason Todd or something and he's like all bandages up and it's like hey did you know that Red Hood is the Joker and that's pretty much all it has to say (laughs) and maybe which sucks because I feel like Snyder and Capullo were really like subtle about the way that was connected Mm -hmm. and this was just like slamming you in the yeah, face with a brick.
3: You're right. And with that was a. Red Hood that is that the Joker is, written on it. That was a James Tynion issue, too.
0: Hmm. What did oh, I, I say at the end of our so Eternal conversation? He, I can't do subtlety. No.
1: Nah, like, I still, I really love The Woods, but it's not a subtle comic.
0: I like him, but he, there's no subtlety in his writing whatsoever.
1: Yeah. I think but, that works sometimes, but not all the time.
0: Yeah. Um, anyway, so this the the cooter action kind of gets Clark back into the spotlight here. It it has yeah. the first bit of God, it's... human super like, like Superman shows his humanity for the first time in like at least ten issues.
1: Yeah, this because the zero year issue I kind of checked out just because it wasn't Scott Lobdell and I was like ah it can't be that bad and it kind of goes back to jeans and t shirt Superman which was cool and like. I kind of loved it because it goes back to, like, Clark is, like, because Clark isn't the smartest superhero. (laughs) He's a farm boy. He's not going to, like, solve things by, like, thinking about it too hard. He's just going to do it and hope it works. And this is an issue where Clark is like, there's a hurricane coming to Gotham. I'm going to stop the hurricane. (laughs) And I'm like, "You, you poor fool boy, like, you try so hard. Yeah, like, oh, th- hard. like, that issue, like, sold me on being like, okay, I'll check out Action Comics again. And it yeah. worked. Like, that first, everything, like, I think, I want to say it's, like, a good five or six issues between that and, like, when Super Doom starts,
0: mm-hmm. or
1: Doomed, or whatever they called it. Um, it was amazing. The whole, like, subterranean. Yeah, like, I love
3: that. And was that was so the good. beginning of, like, the them developing this new supporting cast that yeah up Mara like that. was a huge part of it mm-hmm. and um what was the what was the blue the little blue monster guy's name
1: um Baka.
0: yeah Baka.
3: yes um and just um. all these characters that you would never i you know didn't expect to see outside of that arc again and then they you know are showing up all throughout the run and mm-hmm. And you know, it it kind of boggles my mind to like realize that their run takes up half of this this whole volume of yeah. action, movies, you know?
1: I mean, so does like Superman Doomed. <laughs> <laughs> like that was a long ass crossover. That, like, <laughs> let's Why? see it,
0: it starts with thirty-one and it ends with I guess thirty six starts. Well, the aftermath is thirty-five. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But it also crossed over into, I think,
1: like every Superman title. It did. It did. For the first couple of issues, Superman Doom got got to the point where I just didn't read it. I just watched a YouTube video explaining what happened. (laughs) (laughs) That was how I experienced it because I was like, I don't have the time to read all of these comics. Just explain it to me in 20 minutes.
3: Oh, I I read the whole thing.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, it at least it like led into like what could have been interesting about convergence.
3: Yeah, no, it did. Like, and, I'm, know, I'm honestly, gonna, I'm
1: gonna be the Vince here. That Aaron Cooder panel at the end of like with like the Superman Doomed issue two, like yep. the epilogue issue with like red, red trunk Superman. Yeah. Oh so good. Mm-hmm. It was so good. I had Type. faith for like five minutes yep. in DC then.
0: But the uh, the enti- especially before they got to the uh, depowered back in the t-shirt, but with the Golden Age Superman logo. Oh. Uh, up until that point, it was a really, really, really fantastic run. Definitely,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, it that- actually has like maybe my like one of my favorite Superman moments in mm-hmm. it, which I don't see about New Fifty Two very often. But there's a bit where um, Ghost Soldier like starts teaming up with Superman,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and like Lana, he like says something to Lana, and Lana looks at Clark and goes like, "You have to make friends with everyone, don't you?" And Clark just goes, "Why not?" <laughs> and that that like really sums up the character
0: to me. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, one of the things I'll say is I think that this action comics is the most. Essential Lana Lang has felt in yes. fifteen, twenty years, if, if not that, longer. I mean, more than that. Yeah. Yeah. They really do I mean, her like, right.
1: The comics never really cared about Lana Lang. It was only ever like Smallville that really like tried to bring her back as a character mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And this was like she comes in and she's like an electrical engineer now. And she has like stuff to do in the plot. Other than be like fawning over Superman, yeah, as with like ninety percent of the women in Superman comics, mm-hmm.
0: she has agency and she has uh, a purpose, and Superman really values her opinion.
3: Oh yeah, and you know, like mm-hmm. the the first chapter of the of the Super League arc, when you get that moment
0: when between pushing Clark the and swing. Lana, yeah,
3: yeah, and you know, like that's earned because of the work that. Park and Cooter
1: did, and
3: yeah. you know,
1: because Pact does a great thing where, like, because they have like dueling narration, which I'm always a sucker for because I loved um Jeff Loeb and Superman Batman, um like one of them will like reference a childhood memory and then like later in the page the other one will reference the same one and you can mm-hmm. see like how in sync they are as characters. I thought that was really cute. Yeah, I agree. Like, just kind of, like, showing, um, like, the history that the two have with each other. There's a great panel by um, Cudder, um, where they meet, like, the Queen of Subterranea. Yep. And she, like, walks straight past Superman and goes to Lana Lang, who's, like, sitting on, like, the huge, like, roided-out baka, like, his, like, huge form, mm-hmm. is, like, sitting with her knees up up and is just like, sup. <laughs> and I was just, like, "It's there's so much character in such a tiny panel." I loved it.
0: Yeah, I really think that those guys deserve a new, a, a rebirth book. And I'm hoping that they're working on something great right now.
1: do they not have a rebirth book?
0: Neither one of them does. No. Yikes! But I've heard that they, that they've said that they're working on something for the next rollout. I would hope so. Because uh, I, I think that both of them... I mean, Greg Pak was kind of a well-regarded creator before this. But Aaron mm-hmm. Cooter kind of made his bones on New 52 Superman. He was yeah. illustrating the Superman book before he went over to action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I can't really his... say anything negative about their run.
1: Who did the colors for Aaron Kuder? I think it's because...
0: Will Quinada.
3: is his name.
1: Yeah, because he like took that book to a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. Where the colours are like bright. They're like when they're in the sunshine, the like the blue of the sky really pops. Absolutely. And yeah. It just felt like a nice comic to read. Because like, between Tony S. Daniel and I can't for the life of me think of who illustrated the Scott Lab Delishes, um, they went like pure like New 52 house style
0: mm-hmm.
1: with it. And it felt like after going like, because Rags Morales kind of had the same thing, where it like stood out from the rest of the issues by being like kind of brighter and like had that kind of hopeful feeling in the art as well as the text. Tyler to Kirkham. Go, to by go the from way. that to go back to like, yeah, like just like pure, like, felt like every other New 52 book in terms of like they're like mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. gritty house style kind of photorealistic but like kind of everyone was trying to be like not quite Jim Lee. yep and like getting aaron cooter who was like really bright and hopeful when people smile they really smile kind of like ah, oh, just it was so good so good and then, like, Super Doomed happened, and I just like I like I think I dropped it again because I was like, "There's no way they're getting me to read like Scott Lobdell and actual Superman." I won't do it. I refuse.
3: So it looks like it. It looks like Will Quinata took was on colors later on, and I feel like he's the one I most associate with. But I double checked, and the first arc was June June Chung,
0: okay, um,
3: mm-hmm. who also did the colors for the. I think she. Did the colors on the that first Batman Superman arc that Pac
1: did as well with okay. J That yeah. makes sense. Um, but Julie's but yeah, so good in that arc as well.
3: Yes, yeah, it, it is. It, it has just such a distinct like visual style. Like it, I, I don't know. It this this run just really stands out to me mm-hmm. to this
1: day. Style. I'm like shocked that someone at DC was like. Who should we follow up Jay Lee with on Batman Superman? Hey I know Brett Booth. <laughs> I don't know. Those get styles that guy. go together. And then it's like printed where everything is like laid out horizontally, so you have to like read it as a flip book. Mm-hmm. Because that, that totally worked in the nineties, didn't it? <laughs> I really didn't. It really didn't stop doing that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Comics or man. portrait.
0: The, um, Yeah, and then, you know, the the Cooter Pac run kind of ends, I don't want to say with a whimper, because that's not fair, but I, I didn't love the depowered Superman quite as much. No. And, you know, I think theirs was the best of that. Mm-hmm. There are
1: some pretty good moments buried in there, mm-hmm. with the whole, like, I think it's called Kentville. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where, like like a suburban metropolis is taken over by people who like support Superman. Yeah. But like, I just really didn't like the attempt to make Superman a street level hero because he's like the opposite of that.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: like he, like, er- like I just remember seeing like the first images, I think it was like an iron cooter image where he's got the buzz cut. He's got the t-shirt, he's got like taped up wrists yep. with like blood on them. Mm-hmm. And I just, I sighed so hard, and I was just like, you got it so right, and then you're just getting it so wrong right afterwards. Mm
0: -hmm. But thankfully, those guys stayed on the book, and they Mm -hmm. made it readable. Because anybody else would have been, you know, just terrible. Absolutely terrible. And... You know, it's actually, it's, it's interesting, because I, when I think of New 52 Superman, I think of disappointment, more or less. <laughs> but, you gotta realize, on Action Comics, more than half the entire run was pretty good. Yeah. With one Like, 0 through 18 is quite good, mm-hmm. and then 25 through 50, disregarding the doomed stuff, is pretty good, too. So, mm-hmm. then, so then maybe a good place to wrap up this conversation because we are way over our half hour. We tried Definitely. to keep this on. Uh, That's like, probably my fault. I did. that. Uh, it's all of our... We can't keep a schedule to save our lives. But, you yeah. know, um, why do we feel that New 52 Superman is a disappointment if we can look at action and say this was more or less good? Is it that the Superman book itself was such a... Uh, probably.
3: I think it was fire. just Yeah, it was the state of Superman just in general across like, all, I've all that, books.
1: Like Action Comics does a great attempt of kind of pushing him towards a Superman that would be interesting to read, but like it's built the character in New 52 is built on like a broken foundation almost. Where like whoever is editorial, be it Dan Didio Jim Lee, like I can point blame and not really know, but like there was this, like, synced in feeling that, like, Superman needs to be isolated, he needs to be tortured, he needs to be, like, some grim and gritty hero, and that's not who Superman is. Right. Is the simple fact. And there are writers on Action Comics more so than Superman that were, like, trying to pull him away from that as much as they could. Grant Morrison certainly tried to pull him away from that. Greg Pax certainly tried to pull him away from that. Um, surely fish definitely tried to pull him away from that and you look at like the creative themes on superman and they kind of either they went whole hog into that like scott Lobdell, or they were never really given a chance to do anything interesting with it like pretty much everything else i haven't read much of gene yang's run on it so i can't really comment on his style but being part of the whole like I would, like, I would, it just reminds me of, like, Bendis Millie of Daredevil, where he, like, has no... Like, his secret identity, is lost, he's pure street-level, he's beating up criminals. I was expecting him to, like, announce himself as Kingpin Metropolis at one point, you know? And it's just... Uh, I've said that, like, Action Comics has, like, the highest highs and lowest lows, and I really do mean that, because for every like great issue like like 0 or like the 25 like kind of arc i had to sit through scott Lovedale's writing <laughs> and there's never been a lower low than that
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's kind of all i got yeah
3: i'm yeah i'm flipping through the list of justice league or not of superman and lobdell is on that book in some shape or form for until issue 31 which is when Johns takes over, or he takes, Johns comes on 32.
0: From mm-hmm. what issue did Lovdell start?
3: Um,
1: like, I want to say like around the same time as the zero issues were coming out. Was, so I want to say like 13.
3: Zero. Yeah, he, he did the zero and then took over at 13.
1: Wow. Yes. Um. That yes was just that me remembering that, not <laughs> taking over. Um so yeah, it, he's on so that he, book for a while. And you look at the arcs that he goes through, like, he's so into Hector Hammond that I don't understand why. He's, like, the only person I know that is like, yeah, let's write a story with Hector Hammond in it. He's, like, DC's Modoc to me. <laughs> where I'm just like, get this giant head out of my comics. I don't care. And then just, yeah. I kind of just flip slots around the place. Until like I really liked Johns' arc. Um I I think I reviewed a couple of issues for that for the site. There were some really great moments in that, but once Superman got the like solar flare power, like ninety percent of like Yang's run, I think it was. Um, cool. or like the like truth arc or whatever it was, he like ends every encounter by just doing Sola Sola flare. Flare yeah, and destroying everything around him. And I'm like, it's not like a wrestling finishing move. Like, <laughs> you don't have to use it. Like, you don't have to just, like, hit L2 and win. Like, you can give him, like, uh, that power is, like, one of the worst things to happen to Superman in the New 52. Because yeah. it just, like, Superman already has, like, a million get-out-of-jail-free cards with his powers. Yep. You know, like... You have to work to present a challenge for Superman. That's why it's tough to write him. And the challenge should be, like, putting other people in danger that he has to, like, try and save. Like, that's there's a great panel that Greg Pak and Aaron Cooder do where he's like, oh, there's, like, so many people in trouble over here and I've, like, I've just been gutted by ghost soldier and this is going to be impossible, but I have to do it anyway. And that's Superman. And... Like giving him the solar flare is just like, oh, he just gets to like do heat vision to everyone, and blow everything up, and that's it. Encounter over.
3: Yeah, it was a it was a weird choice for sure. I really hope there were a few issues where it was like every other issue he did the solar flare.
0: Yeah, I really hope that going forward, the um, the emphasis on Superman is the things that it seems like specifically Pete Tomasi is focusing on Mm -hmm. in this last arc, but also what he's talked about in in interviews about his um, upcoming Superman book. So we'll see. Um, But Alice, thank you for uh, filling in for Vince this week. We appreciate it. No
1: problem. I'm sorry for talking about superman for like an hour no
0: we had you on the show to talk about superman so this is a good thing um
1: And you as soon as you were like we haven't a half an hour you're okay with that right and i'm like you don't you're not gonna have an hour out of me
0: i, I said <laughs> we were gonna try for a half hour there's a difference i, I wouldn't ask you on alice if i had we've to. done
1: like two recordings for wrestleversity and both of them lasted like four hours oh, and we recorded like an hour out of it we just like talked forever about nothing it was great <laughs>
0: Wrestleversity coming soon for Multiversity Comics um,
1: yeah hopefully I, like, I can't wait for people to listen to it, that it'll
0: be uh, first thing next week it looks like we're end of this week so coming soon um, by the time you hear this listeners Wrestleversity should be available on Multiversity
1: go listen to home. me Jess and James talk about how many wrestlers died at Wrestlemania because there were a lot
0: there's uh, so many. For hot takes like that, as well as links to stuff that she writes and just other general merriment, where can folks find you on Twitter, Alice?
1: I am at Fall of the Poets on Twitter, where you can see me just kind of giving out about Superman, crying about Star Wars, and being somehow more Scottish than I am in real life.
0: <laughs> uh who was the amazing person that retweeted you this week or followed you?
1: Um who was it? I don't know. Didn't Mark Millar follow you? Oh yeah, Jesus. I forgot <laughs> about that. That was weird. Um, I wrote a thing for panels um, about Dawn of Justice and Mark Millar like, saw that, tweeted it, and followed me and I was just like, oh no. Now I can't talk about Civil War ever again. <laughs> Whoops.
0: Zach, if people want to... Sorry Mark fu- if you're listening to this. <laughs> Zach, if people want to follow you, where would they do so? If they, I don't know why
3: they wanted to. I, I don't say anything interesting, but I'm at SirFox89,
0: and uh, I am at Brian needs a nap. But and you can always follow Vince at VJ underscore Ostrowski. Uh, I would say at least once a day, two of us are tweeting at each other. Would you guys agree with that? At least once Probably. a day, yeah yeah
1: so. Vince and I talk a lot of shit about nothing. <laughs> that's like 90% like oh boy, that's gonna be great when we do our thing.
0: It's what we do, guys. Tease, tease. Tease. Yeah, we've been teasing that left and right, so
1: Yeah, we teased it last week. Like I really hope that's just not an empty tease. It won't
0: be. We'll we'll make it work. Canceled before the
1: first episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned now for a chat with Joshua Helfialkov about the incredibly underrated iVampire. And we're back in two weeks with more New 52 in review. We'll have another Multiversity staffer on as a guest. We'll have another creator interview. And until then, have a wonderful night and never forget Lobdell.
1: (laughs) And read more Superman.
0: Hey kids, do you like comics? Do you like in-depth interviews with your favourite creators and interesting discussion about the medium? Do you enjoy different accents? Then chances are you're really going to like Orbital in Conversation. It's the podcast of Orbital Comics in Central London where we bring you the best and the brightest in comics and we do it all with a bit of fun, a bit of style and a bit of panache. You can find us here on the Multiversity Comics Network every week. I am joined now by the first person I ever interviewed for Multiversity Comics, Uh, New York Comic Con 2011. It was just after issue number two of iVampire came out, I believe, or maybe the week before issue two came out. And um, I butchered his last name, but now I know how to pronounce it because we've become friendly. And he is one of the nicest guys in comics, one of the best writers in comics. He is currently writing the bunker and the. Li- what, what's the official title of the life after now? I always, I always mess that is up. is
2: called? To, we'll, we can just call it the life after. the life after, that's after that's for good. Oni
0: Press. <laughs> it is my pal Josh Fialkov. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm good, sir. How are you? I am doing well, thank you. So, um. Like I said, I first encountered you in twenty eleven at New York Comic Con and I
2: feel so I feel so bad for you that I was your first. Like I
0: feel like you should have gotten someone more excited. No, you were you really, yeah. yeah. um, know I was gentle. You were gentle. I was you were gentle. You, That's you, all that you were gentle for my first time, yeah. Um I had been <laughs> interviewing it's funny, I had interviewed musicians for like ten years at that point. And musicians no longer phased me, but something about comic creators—I guess because I was into comics so much when I was a little kid—that there was still this like mystery about comics creators for me. Right. Um. You know, I get,
2: I get that. I I um. Like I have there's certain people. Like I I know Warren Ellis. Like I, I've emailed with Warren Ellis. I'm name dropping Warren Ellis every <laughs> time I actually see him in person. Because it's so. First of all, it's very rare because he doesn't ever go anywhere. But when you do see him, when I see him in person. I sort of just choke up because it's like, you wrote all these things that were incredibly (laughs) influential for me. And there's guys that even, you know, like with Bendis and Brian K. Vaughn and, you know, Rucka and Brubaker, like all those guys, when I was starting in comics, first of all, were, you know, making just brilliant books, but were so kind and like nice to me for no good reason. (laughs) Um, And so even though I know and am friends with all those guys, when I see them, I get sort of giddy. So, and it is, I think it's that thing where you have a very intimate relationship with the books that
0: you read. Absolutely. But so uh, when I, so I, I show up at New York Comic Con that first day, and my then editor was like, hey, so you are going to be interviewing Josh Vialkov about my Vampire*. have you read that issue yet? I was like, no, it's like, alright, so go on the show floor, find it, and read it, and then let's talk. And I had seen the cover, and to be... T- Totally truthful with you, I didn't buy the issue because of the cover of issue number 1. Uh it, the,
2: so, <laughs> it's baffling. She's Jenny Jenny is uh Jenny Frizen is such a genius. Uh it's funny because we got to know DC gave us a ton of the grief about the covers. Uh the cover was designed by Jim Lee. That is a Jim Lee cover.
0: That doesn't Thank surprise part. me in the slightest. And Jenny is somebody who's done work for the site. She's wonderful. I think she's a great artist. It just, you know, there was this kind of buzz, this anti-buzz about the book before it came out, that like, oh, this is DC trying to do Twilight. And I, I heard that... Everywhere, and so I was like, "Oh, I got to interview this guy about Twilight." Fuck. And then I bought the issue, and I was like, "Oh no, this is incredibly interesting, and this is not at all what I expected it to be." So I guess my question to begin with is: How was the? How did you wind up on the book? Did you pitch for it? Did you know it was out there, and somebody asked you to pitch for it, or were they just like, "Hey, we have this idea. Do you want to take a stab at this?"
2: Um. Well, first of all, to your point. They really wanted to do a book like Twilight. percent percent, 100% correct, just so we're clear. From okay, truth. cool. Um, I think uh, I had done, I think the year, oh, Christ, I can't remember what the order was. I did a book called Tumor mm-hmm. uh, that was originally published by Arkea and is uh, being republished by Oni Press later this year. Um, that was nominated for a bunch of Harvey Awards and an Eisner Award. Um, and then I followed that up with a graphic novel called uh, Echoes, which uh, was put up by Top Cow uh, through Image. And that actually there's actually an aniver- a new version of that. I'm getting plugged in. I didn't even mean to. I'm doing so <laughs> good at this. Um, and uh, Echoes is a like weird, dark psychological horror book. Um, and then I wrote, and this is what I think did it: is I had a uh, I wrote a series of vampire. I adapted a series of vampire. Uh, romance novels for, um, oh Christ, I don't even know, for Macmillan, I think, for like one of the book publishers, um, which were New York Times bestsellers. Uh, and I think that, like, so the combination of like, that like guy got nominated for awards and he wrote this uh, bestselling horror uh, vampire book. Um, had they actually read anything I'd written, I'm pretty sure they would not have hired me to write a <laughs> vampire book. Because my, uh, you know, like I grew up, loving all that like loving monsters loving Dracula and you know I grew up with Hammer movies and like I'm bananas for them
0: I'm the same way uh,
2: but my interest in like traditional monsters is pretty low um but so they came to me and they said uh did you do you remember uh a book that uh J.M. DeMatteis uh and oh god who drew the original book I can't even remember Mike Plug? That sounds right. It's been a long time since I've thought about this stuff. Um, But yeah, they asked, you know, had I read, it was in, it was in one of the original, um, it was in the House of Mystery anthology. um, And, uh, you know, they asked if I knew it. And I, oh, it's Tom Sutton. Sorry, Tom Sutton drew it. Um, They asked if I'd read it. And I'm a huge anthology nerd. I love like if I could do anything in the world, it would be right for, write for crime and horror anthologies. Um, so I was a huge fan when they. I was like the one guy. I was one guy who was like, "Fuck yeah, I'm vampire. Let's do it." Um, so I, you know, I got. Uh, Christ, it's been so. I literally have not thought about this in so long. Um, I got. Uh, I knew Will Moss because he had interviewed me. Uh, when he was a reporter, before he was an editor, and I think when, when they were looking for people, you know, he was a big fan of my creator-owned books, uh, and he put me up to to Matt Idelson for the job, and I had lunch with Matt Idelson, and uh, if ever I have met a person with a personality match for me, it is Matt Idelson, because he is a sarcastic, slightly mean, but, like, very well-meaning dude, um, and we really just sort of hit it off, and I pitched him, literally I think at breakfast I was like, Oh yeah, well you do it and it's a you do a romance comic. Like it's a romance comic and the the twist is that he well like all he wants to do is destroy her but he can't because he's so madly in love with her. Um so they had me they had me do you know, and like he made it pretty clear they wanted to do Twilight. Um and you know I because I, I'm a writer and I like to see what things are popular, I had I had read the first Twilight book. And I immediately told him, like, well, I don't think DC Comics is going to publish that. Like, that is, that is not the same thing. Um, so he had me do, I wrote, like, a proposal, and they liked it. They had me write a first issue. And uh, the first issue I turned in, they told me it did not have enough action in it. Uh, because, remember, uh, and this is a quote, put in more action, like in Twilight. <laughs>
0: um, I have never <laughs> read this one books, but I, I presume they're not. There is Total recall. There is none. No,
2: there's uh they moon at each other. Like they sit there and sort of like look moony eyed at each other. Um, there's a thing called vampire baseball that they play. That's like a sport. It's like a semi full contact sport, but aside from like, there's literally no action. <laughs> and I gave them, you know, the script I gave them was 50% violence, like so much violence. Um, <laughs> So they told me to put more action in it. So I I restructured it. And I think that pretty much is what came out. Wow. Okay. Um, How was that? I did a little run there. I really went.
0: I really went for it. (laughs) I'm glad you did. Um, Is there, so one of the things that I, I took away from the book, and I think a lot of people did, was the incredible talent of Andreas Sorrentino. How did he wind up on the book with you?
2: I don't know, you know, he, <laughs> I think part of it, the whole book succeeded uh, almost entirely by being mostly invisible to DC. They were so freaked out about all the other books uh, that they weren't really looking. So they, there was an artist that I think DC had wanted, and I can't remember who it was, nor should I probably say. Um, <laughs> and we got pages and they were just sort of like stock DC, like house style DC. Um, and I said to to... To, uh matt and will like yeah this isn't this isn't that kind of book like there's no audience for this book so we should at least make it good like we should make it look, it look different and cool so that at the very least we're like hey look we made this really cool different thing um and i think you know they showed they showed me andrea's stuff and like he's especially with uh, marcello Maiolo coloring him like that was really the secret sauce and i, and I don't know that marcello gets as much credit as he should. But when you put those two guys together, like it's just gorgeous. It's just beautiful. And the way they tell stories as a team, I think is so valuable and so different than anything else on the stand. So yeah, like we're, and you know, and I think it's interesting to watch because you see Andrea learn, um, learn almost, you know, as much, if not, I think I probably learned more, but like you get to see him learn and grow and get better and better as the issues go on.
0: Absolutely. Um,
2: Yeah, it's a real, guy. I think that's the real treat is seeing, especially seeing what he's doing now, and you can, you can see the gestational phase of, of his work.
0: Yeah, um, you know, he's a guy that I had never, you know, like, when, when you're, when you're around comics, certain names, even if you don't know their work, you know the type of creator they are or you're familiar with them by name i i knew your name before i knew your work let's put it that way and and, and that's pretty common for a lot of people i had never even heard andrea's name before he was i think
2: he had done he had done like a five issue for good old ben Abernathy, who has a hell of an eye for talent Abernathy had him do i think like a god of war miniseries for the video game oh okay um, for wildstorm back in back in the good old days Mm -hmm. um and I don't know that he had done much else other than that.
0: Right. So, you know, he was this completely new uh, th- th- this this new guy to me. And then like I said, you know, you look at the cover of the first issue and it doesn't really reflect what the first issue is all about, I think. Right. Uh, and But once I read that first issue, I was completely blown away by it. And it quickly became the book that I was a proselytizer for. And I would tell people all the time, like, are you reading iVampire? Because if you're not, you really should be because it's telling a completely different story than you expected to tell, and it's doing things that I haven't seen a mainstream comic do in a very long time. And, you know, I, and I, I think that the fact... What did it run, 19 issues in a zero issue?
2: Yeah, correct. The That's fact right.
0: that, it, that it ran 20 issues, essentially, is pretty bonkers because if you had taken... Bets at the beginning of the new fifty-two, what would last that long? I, I don't think anybody thought it would outlast like Static Shock, let's say, right? But it, it did. By in your march. face,
2: Static Shock,
0: exactly. We fucking
2: showed you. <laughs> he had his fucking arm ripped off. That guy, they just <laughs> pulled, they just pulled his whole arm off for no reason. <laughs> Ridiculous.
0: But you know, it's uh, it, it's pretty remarkable the success that the book had, and you know, it it had success in ways that I think were unexpected. So let's talk a little bit, though. A couple of issues in, you were asked to start, or I, I don't know if you were asked or you just thought of this for self-preservation. You started bringing in characters from the greater DC universe. Um, was that something you decided to do or was that a mandate given to you? No.
2: Oh, God, they didn't want to use Batman. <laughs> they, were, they, would, they didn't want to use Batman. Uh, Const, they didn't want to use Constantine.
0: Yeah, like they were
2: uh, cause they had this thing where they were like, we really want to have all the books alone, which I, which I get. Um, but at the same time, like we had to put references into the other books and it was this like weird thing where you're like, well, if you're going to talk about them, like just fucking show them. Um, so yeah, it was, it was somewhat of a fight. Um, but it's like, we eventually did a crossover with, uh, justice league dark and that was a mandated, like they were trying to make all the books do crossovers. Right. Um, but yeah, no, we had to, we had to fight to get to Batman. We had to fight. Like I had wanted, um, I had wanted to have Batman essentially in issue three and they had us push it. And I think it's in like issue five,
0: maybe. That sounds about like right. Five
2: yeah. and six, something like that. Um, yeah, they were weird. They were weird about it. And I was like, it seems crazy that we're doing a book. Nobody's going to read and we can put Batman in it. <laughs> and first of all, totally makes sense. Cause I don't know if you know this, but, uh, vampires and bats, that's a thing.
0: Right, absolutely. Um,
2: also, and like they, if you look at the covers, it's my favorite. Batman is not on those covers. Look <laughs> what <laughs> They wouldn't let it. like in the one, it's uh, the one that's like a bat signal in the background. Mm-hmm. That was their like, there, people know bat, and it's, you know, like they made it be real small. But yeah, they they really did not, they really did not want us to do the crossover stuff.
0: Again, that just seems so backwards to me. It seems like the way you sell the book a, is putting Batman in
2: yeah. it. Yeah, right? I mean, that's what they do now. So I think maybe they hadn't figured that out yet, that you just put Batman in everything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, it was a weird, you know, I had a conversation, a conversation with them very early on that, well, sort of like, in in retrospect, was it uh, was very telling of what was to come. They uh, After the book had just launched, the New 52 had just launched, I had a lunch meeting with, uh, Eddie Berganza and, and Bob, um, Oh my God, what's Bob's last name? Bob Harris. Harris, Um, and so we had this meeting and they're like, so pitch us, pitch us, you know, the rest of the year. And so I pitched them, you know, I wanted, you know, I wanted this and I got like all these big plans and it was all this cool stuff. And their response was, uh, make that year two. And okay. I, I kind of paused, and I was like, well, if you make that year two, we don't ever get to year two. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if you, if you hide all the good stuff, right? If you bury, if you bury all the cool stuff, then uh, you never get to do it, because all you're doing is stuff in You know, all you're doing is fill it. And they looked at me, and they said, well, Josh, these books are going to sell like this forever. We don't <laughs> need to worry about that. And they were, in fact, insulted that I that I was really like, no, no, we should do the awesome stuff today. Please, let me do it before you fire me. Um, and that was sort of the attitude then. It was very weird. And and again, like, for me, uh, coming from independent comics, like, you put everything into every issue, and you worry about next month, next month. Right. right now, you put in the best shit you can come up with, and then the hope is that you're good enough that next month you can do it again. Um And it just wasn't, like, I mean, it it really, like, it got to the heart of a lot of the trouble I had working there, I think. I was always like, no, no, we should pretend, like, there's no next month. Because that's how you make compelling comics that people want to read, is if every issue feels like it could be the last issue, right? Like, emotionally speaking, you want to always be on that high level. Right. Um, And that was something they were not interested in.
0: So, you know, after your first year, when... You know you had done you know, Batman and Constantine showed up, then you did the justice League dark crossover, and I guess it's around issue fifteen or so is when you lose andrea uh he was pulled over to do green arrow over there correct is that's where he left for correct
2: right? somewhere somewhere around there yeah yeah and, yes, and that is where he went
0: and uh but at that point you guys kind of knew that the end was was nigh right
2: I think so. I got a call. I'm trying to think when it was like, I got a call at some point that was uh, yeah. That you're like the book's ending. Um, we went through, you know, Andrea was leaving to go work on, on that stuff. Um, and then we sort of went through a bunch of, a bunch of artists really quickly um, in part, because I didn't want to like really nail down who it was. And then in part, just because, you know, they were taking, what happens is people have, um, people have contracts with DC that say, I get this many pages or this many books a month. Um, and so DC is sort of like required to put them on places. And so when you have a book that doesn't sell a lot, it makes sense to put one of those guys on those books because they're already essentially paid for. Right. So it's like a way to like lose theoretically less money. Right. Um, And sadly, like that's just, that's, that's where we were. So I think as much as I would have loved to have worked with like Dennis Calero, um, Dennis Calero filled in right after, um, and then Scott Clark, um, the next issue was actually, I didn't know this at the time, but Scott Clark, who was hired to draw and who we thought was going to be a regular artist was actually really sick. Um, and he actually, right after he finished the issue, he passed away. Um, Yeah, they never told me. They never said anything about it. I would have liked to have known. Um, But in in that issue, because he was sick, Fernando Blanco um, had come in to fill in, and he just did such a terrific job helping out um, that he became a really good fit for the book. And, you know, I'm really glad because he's such a good guy. And, like, when you look at the book – I'm actually looking at the books right now because I have so little memory of it. Um, When you look at the books, like, you see him again growing and just getting better and better – um, and, you know, luckily, like he got to stay at DC and he did a lot of, um, God, what did he work on? He worked on the, the Trinity War, mm-hmm. like that Trinity War miniseries thing with Pandora. Um, he worked, you know, so he got to do more stuff. And, and, you know, that's, it's sad, especially now that everything, essentially every book is double shipping. Like what was, what was really nice about working with Andrea for that long and then getting to like with, with Fernando for, you know a few issues like when the more you work with somebody the better your work gets right mm-hmm. the more you sort of get to know each other and get to understand each other the better it is so you know by the time Andrea was leaving the book like I think we were really good together like we had really really clicked and understood each other um just in time for belief it was tons yeah. of bitches
0: but then he was able to come back for the finale if I recall correctly right
2: yeah he drew I don't know if he drew all of it but I think he drew chunks of it
0: mm-hmm.
2: I remember um, and he did all of our covers, which was nice to take. He took over from issue six or so, I think.
0: Yeah. Um, is there, uh, is there like one story that stands out to you as the best thing you guys did together? Or do you kind of take it all as a whole?
2: I think the zero issue, um, the zero issue was like, uh, of all, I mean, I had a lot of duress under my time there, but the zero issue was pretty close to the most duress. Um, And it was really, like, it was brutal to write. Um, And it literally sort of what I... The end of the version that actually was published was me saying, like, this is what I'm going to do. If you guys don't like it, it was nice working with you. (laughs) Um, And uh, they published it and didn't fire me, so that's good, I guess. But I think that issue... uh, I wrote it... It's written in Iambic Pentameter pretty much the whole way through. There's some characters who don't, like the... The, it's when they meet Kane when we meet Kane for the first time, right? Or like when Andrew meets Kane, and Kane does not speak in iambic pentameter, but all the other characters talk because it's set in the you know in the Shakespearean era. Um, so I'm like, and it, it's gorgeous and beautiful, and it was really like DC had given us these very specific and extremely weird edicts about what is your about what this zero issue they were worried. Uh, The note I got uh, is, because the origin is, you know, Andrew and Mary. Uh, The note I got is the book is not called uh, We Vampire. It's called I Vampire. So they wanted me to retell Andrew's origin minus Mary. And literally, Mary is his entire origin. Like, there is really no worthwhile origin other than he turns into a vampire, he turns the woman he loves into a vampire, and she becomes the queen of all evil and then he spends the rest of history atoning for what he did as he, like, debates with himself whether he's going to kill her or not. Like, that's the concept. Uh, they didn't want any of that. They just wanted he gets turned into a vampire. Um, and so it was like you have these weird, elaborate rules that you have to follow. And we'd already established his origin, and, like, his origin was done in the original series, and I we were I technically stayed in continuity with the original series. Um, you know, so like, which is a
0: pretty amazing thing, by the way. Tried
2: really hard. I really like those comics. Like, I like uh, I've been really lucky to get to know uh, Mark Dematius. Um I'm friends with. I've been friends with his son for years. But like, just to get to know him and spend time with him and talk to him, and I know how important that book was to him. Like, it was really. I think if you'd ask him, he'd say it's the first time. I think the way he put it to me was, it was the first time that he created something. That he really felt like, "Oh, I get it, I get what I'm doing." And when you read those comics, like you know they're they're dated because of the period, but they still work, and like the emotional stuff within them is really strong um, and works really well, especially like Bruce Jones took over for him after I think like six or seven issues. Um, and that stuff's really good, too, but the Mark stuff is just so beyond words, it's so beautifully written and just gorgeously drawn like it, it really it works so well I, and it, it bothered me. You know, like, I'm a DC guy. Like, I love the comics. I have considerably more DC than I have Marvel. Um, But at the same time, like, the thing that always bums me out about DC is how quick they are to kind of toss over their legacy, right? And the thing is, is, like, you've created all this cool stuff and you can totally make it all work. Like, there is a world where everything makes sense. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily throw everything away just for the sake of doing it.
0: Yeah, that's... <laughs> the current administration doesn't always believe that. But that's a whole other I mean, story. look, I,
2: you know, the other the other side of it, I can't believe the words to defend Dan Dio are about to leave my mouth. I've literally never said them before. But I think part of the thing is, you know, comics are really fucking confusing now. You know, like, we we're coming out of an era when, you know, after the 90s, when everyone and we hemorrhaged readers comics became so crazy insular where we're making comics for the same literally 50,000 people, mm-hmm. you know, like, and so because of that, the books became so small, like so tiny in terms of scope because you're limited by what stuff is. I think there's a, there's good ways to do it. And there's bad ways. I look at the work that James Robinson did a lot of Jeff Johns's work specifically, um, the work that Mark Wade did when he was there, like, those are guys who understand how to do all of it. Um, but the problem becomes when those guys aren't there and those, and they don't trust other people to do it. Um, and I think probably again, in praise of BC, probably the best thing they've done is kind of let Jeff Johns have a bit more of the creative reigns because that guy knows how to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like, uh, no offense to Dan, but when was the last time you were like, oh, man, a Dan DiDio comic? Never. <laughs> it never happened, and likely never will. But when you see a fucking Jeff Johns comic, you get excited because you know it's going to be good. Um, and I think, like, that mentality is really... Ha- wasn't particularly fostered back then.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
2: and kudos to Jeff for, you know, stepping up and sort of taking it.
0: Uh, is there a... St- I know you obviously had plans for the book if it continued past the 20 issues it got. But is there a particular story you really wish you got to tell with the characters? We were going to do, um, Brian Bucciolato uh, is a good friend of
2: mine, and I love St. Francis as well. Um, and we, almost from the beginning, we had talked about doing a Flash-Vampire crossover, wherein the um, the Rogues all get turned.
0: Uh, And Flash
2: and the Flash and Andrew have the 72 hours before they become vampires permanently to cure them. That was our like, that was, that was part of what got pushed from year one was my like, no, that's awesome. You dummy, please (laughs) let me do that. So it would have been like an event that, and you know, that was Flash was one of the top selling books. And like, it would have, I think it would have really given us a nice spotlight. And beyond that, like, I think it would have been a fucking
0: cool story that is a very cool idea. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> so get sad. It's
2: yeah. so sad thinking about it.
0: So, you know, looking back, but, you
2: know, like, but, but the other thing, you know, you said it before too, was like, there's no fucking way this book should have lasted as long as it did. And like, <laughs> a lot of that is off the back of, you know, off the back of the success of the New 52. And specifically, you know, John Cunningham and David Hyde. Um, John Cunningham is still there and David Hyde who uh, is off on his own doing, uh, he has his own PR firm now. Um, those guys really, like, they believed in the book and they pushed for it and fought for it. And, like, they're the ones, they're actually the champions of the book. Like, they're the reason anybody bothered uh, to read the book. You know, like, it was really there. Then I know, you know, they wanted to cancel the book multiple times. And it was really those two guys saying, like, no, this book's going to do really well in the bookstore market. Just, like, hang on. And I think all three volumes are New York Times bestsellers.
0: That has to feel satisfying. You know, that's, that's them. Yeah, it's nice.
2: Look, it would have been nicer if it kept running. But <laughs> well, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's nice to know. It's nice to know. And it's still, like, I get royalty checks every quarter. Like, it still sells. There's still people finding it, which is nice. And I think it drives people to my other books, which is really nice. Like, that's that's the benefit of working at the big two that you don't get, um, that you don't get doing your own stuff, is you get eyeballs that you wouldn't necessarily get. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh so looking back on the book, you know, obviously there's there's regret it didn't last longer. There's that amazing sudden flash crossover that I wish had <laughs> happened. But what are sort of your overall takeaways from your time on the book? Um, <laughs> I uh a lot of
2: it was learning the difference between what you own and what they own. Um, the problem the problem and the hardship of, of work for Higher Comics is that you're sort of, you're expected to treat it like everything's creator-owned, right? The, the amount of work versus the amount of reward. Like, the real reward is making something amazing, you know? And uh, and so because of that, it's really hard to just say, like, well, this is the thing they want, and they own it. Um, and I think it takes a very specific type of personality to be able to do that. Um, and so the thing I really learned is, you know, I'm not I'm not one of the people who can do it. Like I, uh, I love comics. I love what we did on the book specifically because it's idiosyncratic, and because it's us and it's our voice. And I know that that's sort of the specific thing they were really not happy with. <laughs> I was like, they're they're they they would give us notes like, why is why aren't the colors brighter? And you're like, really? You can't see that it's gorgeous. <laughs> like, in they they wanted a DC book, and we gave them this fucking. Essentially, a Vertigo
0: book. Well, that you know, yeah, like we we—that's that, a good point. I, I think that your book feels, in a lot of ways, like what Vertigo books felt like in the first five years of Vertigo.
2: Yeah, that, I mean, that was my like my intent was that like I, you know, I never thought of Swamp Thing as not taking place in the DC universe. Like that's right. why wouldn't it be? And you know, those books are the ones because the thing is, is people can hold it in their heads. People aren't like. Well, hold on a second. So there's vampires and Batman? That makes no sense. Like, everyone's fucking, they can cope. There's <laughs> nothing any more outlandish about Superman, about a vampire, than there is about Superman. You know, like, right. they're all just as silly as each other. Um, and that was sort of, like, that's how I looked at it. And and again, you know, I kind of knew pretty early on that my days, my days there would be limited. And so I just, I, and, and again, it's a lesson that, you know i don't know that i took everywhere else but really like i learned that you just you do you you fight for what's good and if you fight for what's good you know i again like that book still sells like, that mm-hmm. book has there's a new they just did a new press, a new printing of uh of volume one you know i'm like i think it's the third printing i could be wrong mm-hmm. and hey that's the thing that like had i just done had i had all of us just sort of done what they wanted I don't think it would have been true and so you know my my uh my star burnt my star burned bright and fast and I don't know that I would I don't know that I would do it any differently today all
0: right so if if folks have not checked out this book I hope they have and if folks want to check out more of your writing uh give us a quick rundown of what you're doing in the next few months <laughs> I
2: don't like to think about it um let's see so uh we're actually i haven't i don't know you and i haven't even talked about this we're actually wrapping up this volume of the bunker okay uh so issue 19 issue 19 we haven't really talked about it it's been sort of like it's i finished 18 uh, a couple weeks ago or like a month ago and realized like oh i think we're done weird (laughs) We just sort of got to the end um So I'm writing 19 right now. Joe's just, I just got layouts from 18. As soon as I hang up, I'm going to go look at layouts from 18. Um, So yeah, there's four, there's going to be four volumes, four trade paperbacks from Moni Press of the bunker with Joe Infernari, um, which is, uh, what's the top, the pitch for that is it's about a, a group of friends find a military style bunker that contains letters from their future selves, telling them that they are going to cause the apocalypse. Um, and each of them must decide whether they're going to give up their hopes and dreams in order to save the world. I've said this so many times. It just flows right <laughs> out of me.
0: You've said um, it at least three times yeah. to me. But I, I, in case somebody hasn't I heard know, this, right? I, w- I, I want to make sure that yeah, they're right? right? aware of it.
2: So, yeah. So that's, it's, like a, it's like a science. It's a, I call it lo-fi sci-fi. It's barely science fiction. It's all about relationships and like a little bit about science fiction. Um, and then I do a book called The Life After with uh, Gabo also for Oni Press, and that is a guy who wakes up in Afterlife for suicide, doesn't remember killing himself or know how he got there, and then uh, goes on an epic adventure with Ernest Hemingway. Mm-hmm. So in that one, our third, the third trade paperback is going to be out shortly, um, and the next arc starts soon after. Uh, I got a new book. Also, I'm doing everything at Oni. I signed an exclusive with Oni recently. Um, so I'm doing a book called Jeff Steinberg, Champion of Earth, that I co-wrote uh, with Tony Fleece, who also drew it, um, and that one is uh, the biggest douchebag in the world is chosen as our defender um, <laughs> in order to prevent us from uh, being completely destroyed, completely decimated by aliens. Um, and it's sort of like a weirdo slacker comedy that is like astonishingly funny for how not funny my other books are. Um, <laughs> I think your books are always Tony.
0: funny.
2: Really? I don't no, think. Yeah, I try. <laughs> I try. They're very bleak. I very bleak books.
0: When, when um, the Hemingway reveal happened in the life after, I thought I was reading it wrong because I was like, "There's no way <laughs> fucking Fialkov is going to put Hemingway in this book." And then, like, no, he did, and that's awesome. I got my like of all
2: of my uh, many uh, shameful accomplishments. I got contacted by a guy who was doing a uh, who was doing a presentation for the Hemingway Society. <laughs> Uh, about Ernest Hemingway's portrayal in media, specifically in comics. And I don't want to toot my own horn in the most weird way possible, but apparently I have written the most accurate Hemingway <laughs> in the history of comic books. So fuck you, everybody else who's used <laughs> Hemingway, which doesn't feel like a lot of people. Probably doesn't not. doesn't feel like a lot of people. <laughs> not a lot. Um, yeah. So that I love, I'm crazy about that book. Like it's, it's, uh, I love everything I do, but life after I feel like is the is the underread underread little gem. Um, and Gabo is just a fucking beast. Like that guy's a genius beyond words. Like he's he's gonna be the guy who you're gonna be seeking his first few books because they're so like he's gonna be so big and so incredible because he's just he's so fucking head and tails just the creativity that sort of pours out of every panel is unbelievable.
0: Yeah, you know, and I've been
2: real lucky, like from, you know, Andrea and, uh, Rassan who drew Echoes and you know, Noel who drew Tumor and Elkstron and like, I've, I've been and you know, Fernari and Tony, like everybody I'm working with are like, I've had a, I've had a knack for finding very odd, brilliantly talented artists. And I feel mm-hmm. that's, you know, again, like, and even again, that Andrea's a big star now. Like, how fucking funny and awesome is that? <laughs> <laughs> you know that yeah. DC couldn't keep him. They begged him. They begged him to stay, and he went to fucking Marvel. You know. Yeah. Stupid DC. That's really the that's really the top line of this. Stupid DC. So
0: those, please, those the those are expressed by, really by Josh those... and do not necessarily yeah, represent yeah. the views of Multiversity Comics or No, I'm kidding.
2: As long as my royalties don't stop coming, that's really all that, really all that
0: matters. <laughs> well, uh, and, this has gone
2: horribly. This has gone and, horribly wrong.
0: And if folks want to follow you on Twitter, what's your Twitter handle?
2: Uh, Twitter is at Josh Fialkov, and I occasionally blog at thefialkov.com. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for chatting, Josh, and uh, listeners. I'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Sweet, sweet.